It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. And Rick, um, I, I know that uh, that there were a lot of terrible towels I was seeing in pregame that were waving around the field. In fact, a, a new reporter to the beat said, boy, are there always this many Pittsburgh fans? I said, actually, sometimes there's a lot more. But man, oh man, did the Bengals send those fans home unhappy. They sent their group home very happy. It's weird to see the Steelers be a no-show for the Bengals games, is it not? I mean, we're going to talk a lot about the Bengals, but just starting right, right. on that side, it, it is this is such a foreign thing to just see the Steelers not show up at all and have no fight for both Bengals games. Yeah, it it it, it almost it almost started with that game last year, right? That that's kind of, that was kind of like the beginning of the end of that Steelers team from last year when they were remember they were playing so well. Kind of wobbled a little bit coming into the Monday night game, but it's Ryan Finley. They'll get back on their feet. And Von Bell with the big hit on Juju Smith-Schuster and the kooky running game of Ryan Finley, and they won that Monday night game. And the rest of the season for the Steelers went in the tank. And this year, the Bengals have kicked him in the face twice. And it, it it's always been literally the other way around. And especially with Ben Roethlisberger. There, there was even a small part of me today, Rick, a small part of me. When it was 24-3 to and Joe Burrow threw the interception, the only really awful play he had all day, or anybody for the Bengals had all day. It was a terrible decision, terrible throw. I thought, oh, man, Ben's going to get him down to 24-6. to six. You watch. He's going to get him to a field goal. And they deferred, and you watch. They're going to come out and drive it right down, and all of a sudden we're all going to have a tight sphincter, and so is the team. And instead, one play later, Mike Hilton gets a pick six, and it was, see you later. And it could have been worse. I mean, I, I thought it was embarrassing that Roethlisberger was in the game at the end padding stats and, and 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 trying to put up more yards. I thought that was that was an abject embarrassment for everybody involved. Well, there's plenty to talk about from this performance on the Bengals side of things. But Skinny, we've got to start with what you've been talking about pretty much every week when we do this podcast. And a lot of times on our Thursday podcast, the Bengals found their identity, did they not? I think they have the last two weeks, and that is the heavy dose of Joe Mixon with Joe Burrow under center running the ball downhill in that wide zone scheme. He is so he's got such good vision. You know, some of it is listen, hey, the offensive line has to win, and they're winning. Um, and it has to be maybe against certain defenses. Uh, although this is, you know, even though they blitz, it's still more of a traditional defense than what Oakland play, or Las Vegas played with that three deep zone. Um, but they dominated the point of attack, and to me. It starts and stops there, and and I think I do it until somebody decides we're going to put eight in the box, and there's going to be a team that's going to do it before this year's out. They're going to just simply say, we've watched you run it the last few weeks. We're not going to let you run it. That's fine. At that point, stay under center, play action pass, hit them over the top, and make them get out of it, and if they don't, Jamar Chase will go back to having 160-yard games. I just, I think, I, I asked, and I specifically asked Zach the question today of, you know, the the last two games, you seem really committed to the run. Did you did you really make a conscious decision in the bye week to do that? And I got kind of a mumbo jumbo. It's you know, it's it's opponent related. It's, you know, uh, when it's working, I'm not going to get away from it. I, I get all those things, but it really feels like they made a conscious decision during the bye week to let's get under center, let's run the ball downhill, and we'll do our play action game or our passing game off of that. And I think it's been really good. It's not been as sexy as watching Jamar Chase catch 60-yard passes, but it's been a whole lot more consistent, a whole lot more fluid, and you're still putting up 30-plus point games. Well, yeah, and like you said, it's it's about having 
the identity of who are you on, on a regular basis? What is your go-to? What is the thing that you do best? And the last two weeks, it's more so last week really than this week, because this week they were so successful to Zach's point. You don't need to go away from it. There's right, no questioning. Right. It's like we're just right. dominating them at the point of attack. Just keep running. But last week, it wasn't that case for the entirety of the game, and they stuck to it. They kept pounding them, and it's the old uh, Denzel Washington quote. It's like Novocaine. It's going to work at some point, right? Right. Like right. When, uh, Remember the Titans. It, that's who they were, or that that's who they've become. And to see them stick with it and, like you said, just have something that you know you can hang your hat on, you know you can rely on, they are. They're going to be more consistent because today it wasn't just waiting to get bailed out by the big play. It was sustained drives. It was plow down the field piece by piece. And okay, you bring some more guys up in the box. Well, now we're going to hit you for the eight to 10 yard pass. Right. But it wasn't a lot of like bombing the ball downfield on them or anything like that. It was just consistently moving forward. Yeah. And a couple of times they took shots. I mean, T Higgins makes a great play on the, on the one in the end zone and the one-on-one coverage. But yeah, when you get your one-on-ones, take your shots. Then they, they jumped in empty a few times, which, you know, I'm not a huge fan of. They jumped in it a few times and a couple of times it was okay. And a couple of times it wasn't okay. But I think their identity is Joe Burrow under center and everything else off of that. The downhill run game, your bootlegs, your play actions, maybe even him just dropping back out of it's fine. I, I just, I think that's what they do best. And I, I tried to set Zach up with a with a with a with a, a softball. Um, and to his credit, I don't think he's going to toot his own horn for this. And and maybe he didn't want to be reflective. And maybe it's not true. Maybe they didn't do anything over the bye week. But it sure looks like they did to me that they self identified. You know, here's what we really do best, and it's get under center and run the football. Well, and part of the reason they were so good at today, I think, and everything went so well is the play calling was as good as it's been. It's not just the fact that they're running the ball and sticking with it, but they were unpredictable because today there were moments where they're in downs where I'm thinking, oh, this is run no matter what. I mean, like they're pretty conservative. They like to run on these situations and most teams would run in these situations. And then that's when they're pulling out a play action pass or they're running that uh, goofy little swing pass out to Jamar Chase that they go for a, a nice little play on. It was lots of, not misdirection, but just kind of throwing you off, doing the opposite of what you would expect. And they kept me guessing throughout the game in terms of what they were going to run. And that's not usually the case with Zach Taylor as a play caller. I thought the play calling was as good as it's been all year, especially in that first half. Second half, obviously, you're just trying to run out the clock. Yeah, and right, right. Yeah, correct. And you, and you pulled your starters in the fourth quarter and all that stuff. So, yeah, exactly. When the game mattered, I'm, I'm completely with you. And I can't remember who asked the question and how it was phrased, but it was along the lines of that, kind of your your topic here and, and I thought Zach's answer was actually pretty good he said you know um as a coach I, you're allowed to improve and I love we feel that. like we've improved I, you know the quote I'm talking about then yep. right it, yeah yep. and I thought that was a really good quote to me I thought I think he really understands that he you know what I think I was the smartest guy in the shed for a long time and maybe I wasn't and you know I've gotten better and that's where I go back to if you've self-identified to the buy that we've done these things really well, let's hang our hat on that, and you've gone to it, well, then good for you. Check your ego at the door. Do what you do best. Scheme that stuff up. Play call to that and be effective doing that. And I'm with you. I I thought today um, was as good of a game play calling as he's had, period, end of story. And and, and listen, people can look at that and go, well, yeah, they only had 370 yards. They've had 500 yards in other games. Yeah, that's fine. Games dictate that. I just think when the game mattered, and, and, and to your point, to sustain drives. I thought they were spectacular with it. And I thought he was great with it. Yeah. That quote about coaches being allowed to improve 
to me, it was kind of a, a wink or a nod to the idea of maybe I was in a little bit over my head right, to start as right. a play caller. Maybe I didn't know everything to start, but we are figuring this out and I, I am getting better at it. And to me, if nothing else, it shows a sign of self-awareness from Zach Taylor, which I think most greats have. I'm not, I'm not calling him great or anything yet. No, I'm, just I'm saying, with you, though. The main criticisms about Zach Taylor that we've had and a lot of other people have had were him as a play caller. And he's done a lot of other things well. I think he's done a great job of getting the right guys in here. I think his demeanor is great. He seems very unflappable and very calm and cool at all times. I think the guys like him and want to play for him and play hard for him. I think he's pretty good at delegating stuff. The one issue was he wanted to be the play caller. There's no reason to suggest he should be the play caller at an NFL level. And that seemed to be a big issue for this team through the last few years. Now, granted, part of it was maybe the team and the personnel he had to work with holding him back. But this year, I think even early in the year, we saw some deficiencies in his play calling, but it has gotten better. And you've been asking for it all season long, but I think a lot of it does have to do with going back to what are you best at and how can you put your team in the positions to succeed as many times as possible during a game? And how can you become a little bit more creative and a little less predictable while doing so? Check, check, check. If you're looking at the last couple of weeks. That's right. No, I, th- I think that's exactly right. And and I, I mean, right now, I mean, this team scored thirty points now in six of the last seven games. And and I don't see, you, you know, right now the way this is structured, I don't see teams stopping this this offense. I just right. don't. I know that sounds cocky and stupid, and somebody will, and they may do it this next week with the Chargers and all those things. But like I go, I go back to. All right, so you guys have decided you want to take Jamar Chase away. Okay, I'm sorry for Jamar for the short term. It's going to change itself because it always does. There's always a market correction. Um, so one week we'll go to Tyler Boyd. And this week it was, eh, Tiggins hasn't done much. We'll leave him one-on-one. And what does he do? Six for 118. And the last two weeks running the football has been effective. I mean, you got to pick your poison now. And I think it's really hard to do that in the NFL. It's the whole question. You know, the, the, the league is always, well, i got to make a team one-dimensional, whatever that usually is. Usually the one dimension is passing. Um, okay. I still think Joe Burrow can win you a game and probably will before it's all said and done this year. Rick going 32 of 42 for 405 and four touchdowns. Yep. Just because of the way the game dictates itself. I, I think he's capable of that. He showed he's capable of that. He doesn't have to do that right now. And, um, so I, I, I think they've got it structured really, really well where defensive coordinators look at this offense and go, all right, what do we take away first? And the last few weeks it's been Jamar Chase. That's probably going to change at some point. He's probably going to have a game here in the next few weeks where he goes eight for 180, and you go, there's the guy I remember. Yeah, well, it's because defense has said, well, we can't let Mixon run it down our throat, and the Higgins guy's pretty good, and they got a slot guy's pretty good, and we, we can't let them convert on third and twos every time. So th- that's the beauty, I think, of this offense right now is you got a lot of answers to a lot of things that defenses can throw at you. Yeah, you mentioned T. Higgins' numbers, and he led the team in receiving, also had that touchdown. It feels like the amount of weapons this team has is really starting to show up as an advantage, finally. And we talked about it all offseason of this is why you get Jamar Chase, because all of a sudden, all of these weapons starts taking pressure off the offensive line and Joe Burrow even, because you got to account for all these guys. And you could really use the whole field. And early in the season, it just didn't feel like that was happening. It felt uncreative and like, well, at some point, Jamar Chase is going to bail us out with a throw down field later in the half. And now... That isn't the case. It doesn't need to be. They're able to just move the ball consistently through a bunch of different guys. I mean, I think there's still more to unlock there. I mean, I do CJ, too. CJ Uzama has been good. I think Chris Evans is still a guy with a ton of upside within this offense. 
there is a lot to love about this team and you're hearing it. That's been one of the fun things about this season and really the last couple of weeks, especially after the bye, is the way they've bounced back and, and won these games and dominated today, the national media kind of falling in love and making this Bengals team a, a darling has been fun to listen to because they are an easy team to root for when you're watching them and they're exciting and all of that. So yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you about the, the amount of weapons that Joe has at his, at his disposal showing up and also Zach Taylor too, for him to, to use from a play calling perspective. Yep. I, I yeah. And I, I think that's the, that's the exciting thing of, there's still more to potentially unlock as the rest of the season comes along. And you're probably going to have to do that if you're going to make not only a playoff push, but maybe even a deeper push. Because I, I, I don't know how good this team can be and how good the rest of the division is to, to say, ah, I'm over my skis or no, I'm probably underselling where things are based on this division in this in this conference. The defense was lights out in this game. They only give up 10 points. And really, I mean, the seven in the fourth quarter. I don't charge that against the defense, to that's be quite honest. Points. At this yeah, it's garbage points. Yeah. Roethlisberger is 24, 41, 263 yards, had both interceptions and a touchdown, also got sacked three times. Skinny, we've gone back and forth on the defense a little bit this year, but at this point, this is who the defense has been more often than not. Exactly. Right? I, I mean, that, they've had a couple down weeks, right. but you brought up the point, and it was a great one on our, our Thursday podcast. Of I said something to the effect of coming into this game, the only thing that really worries me is the Bengals' inconsistency. You know, they you just they've had those couple weeks where they just don't look like the same team, and they've been fighting themselves more than they have their opponent. I trust they're better than the Steelers, but I worry about their inconsistency. And you said, you know what, Chief? That's everybody in the NFL this year. Like, there's no one that's had a clean sheet so far. I mean, everyone's had those games where they don't look like the same team or they have a bad week. And that's a great point. And, and it applies to the Bengals defense because most of the year they've been pretty damn good. Yeah. And I think now that you look at it, I'm going to call it a two week hiccup, a two week aberration that it's the league. It happens. Crazy new quarterback and Mike white, all the check down stuff and the Bengals couldn't figure out a way to defend it. And then the next week kind of maybe a little more of a lull than we thought there was going to be. And suddenly, you know, uh, they they hit you with a couple few big plays. Cleveland does the people's Jones pass and the Chubb run, and it got really ugly really fast. But you know, the last two weeks, and you go back to the first seven weeks, that's nine of eleven weeks. They've pretty much played winning football on defense. You know, the Bears' loss wasn't on the defense, correct? Right. Um, you know, they did great things against Green Bay other than a few Devontae Adams plays. And this is no knock. Don't get me wrong. I mean, your rookie kicker who's been outstanding had two chances to win the game and didn't. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm not even mad about that. I get that. But he has a chance to win the game, and we don't even think about anything else at that point. So for the most part, defense has been really, really good. And, yeah, I know Ben's got issues, and I know the Raiders have some issues as far as not many weapons, but the Raiders also just hung 36 on Dallas on Thursday night on a short week coming off their two-week hangover. So tells me this Bengals defense is kind of back on track. They stopped the run. They rush the passer. They cover pretty darn well. They're now getting some turnovers. And so I, I'm going to go back and just simply say the two weeks, okay, it's the NFL. I can live with it. The two interceptions they had, the first coming from Eli Apple, big return on it. I mean, an exciting play, a momentum-changing play, and that kind of started the downhill avalanche of what was to come from the Bengals. But that Mike Hilton inter interception right before the end of the first half Huge. was one that was – 
from a fan's perspective, that's a fun one right there because you just had the brew interception in, you know, down by the end zone, which like you said, was a terrible pass that he really can't throw. And you're starting to think, Oh man, is that something that leaves the door cracked just enough for them to get back in the game? And they're going to get the ball right back after halftime. And not only is it the former Steeler, Mike Hilton, that comes up with the pick six, which makes it awesome in of itself, but you had the TJ Watt play after Burrow's interception where he snatches Burrow up by his collar, shakes him around, screaming in his face, and then body slams him to the turf. Like Garbage play. Just a uh, garbage play. It's just such a soft move. I mean, it's so clown-ish. I, I, I really hated it, to be quite honest. To have that pick six right after TJ Watt does that. It's like, dude... Who, what are you talking for at this point? You are down 24 to three. You're pulling that. And then right after you get another pick six put on your ass. Like, yeah. And he's, and he's too on. good. Of, yeah. He's too good of a player to do that. That's the sad part. And yeah, him and his I, brother I, are both fragile as can be anyway. I, I don't know why I, they're I, acting tough. I, I did love, I love Burroughs' reaction to, to the, to the question about that where he just said, hey, block me. It was almost like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet I'm not gonna give you the benefit I'm not gonna give you any any acknowledgement of what you just did to me I'm just gonna go eh, he blocked me Burrow was laughing at him on the field while it was happening he's like what is this guy doing what are, you're a weirdo yeah it was it was a little bit much but the way that that Mike answered that was just spectacular you're right for all the reasons I mean he's I think he's I think his attitude his um he's just a winner and and some of that comes with Pittsburgh and and you know. We can all hate Pittsburgh for whatever reason, but it's a winning culture and people there know how to win. And that's all they know how to do is win. And I think that's honestly, you know, why they are actually were until the last few weeks above 500 and kicking and screaming just because guys know how to win. They're not very good, but by God, they got enough guys that still know how to win. Well, they have one of them that used to know how to win that they decided not to resign. And here he is with the Bengals and he's been a big change for them. And um, I thought it that you talk about the the punctuation mark. You talk about karma, a god, all those things. That was all wrapped up in that play of perfect time, perfect space, perfect place for Mike Hilton to record that pick six, which he actually told us is the first pick six of his career at any level. Pee wee, middle school, high school, college. That's almost stunning That's to awesome. think about. It. Yeah, it is. That's crazy, right? No, it, it was the perfect guy to do it and just put the nail in the coffin and end the game right there in the first half. It. It was a fun play. There's just no better way to describe it than that. It was, it was, uh, if you're a Bengals fan and you weren't screaming or losing your mind on that play, uh, you have no pulse. Well, I, I, I will say we did have some cheering in the press box on that interception, which is never <laughs> a good thing, but there was some cheering in the press box on that. Good. You're not going to name names, not going to name names, but it happened. It was, it was actually nobody I knew it was behind us. So it's sometimes you get workers that, Uh-oh, you know, yep. kind of come around and do it. I, it's okay. I can live with it. <laughs> Um, other guys that stood out on the defense, uh, BJ Hill continues to be a great pickup, right? Yeah, no, he, I mean, he's got now four and a half sacks, which is third best on the team. And and I'll be honest, I had this tweeted from, uh, from, or sent to me from, uh, our boss, Mark Jusak, and I used it in my fifth quarter. Uh, I made Trey Hendrickson actually, the, I gave Trey Hendrickson my defensive game ball, which sounds odd because Mike Hilton had a play. I didn't realize this. I, we were trying to ask Trey, in fact, Jay Morrison of the athletic asked Trey the question of, um, on that interception by Hilton, he said it looked like you pushed the tackle back into into Ben and affected the throw, and he tried to deflect it. Of no, it's my job to rush the passer. Well, to make a long story short, next gen stats gave him credit for forcing all three turnovers today, which was the Eli Apple interception. Where apparently, I didn't realize this. I was looking more at the route than the pressure, 
Apparently, he got enough pressure on Ben that they considered that a pressured interception. He forced a fumble um, where he came around the edge and knocked one away from Ben Roethlisberger, and Sam Hubbard recovered, and they apparently then gave him credit for putting the pressure on Ben on that interception from Mike Hilton. So as much as we look at the sack totals of Trey Hendrickson, which is now, he's up to 10 and a half, and he's approaching the post-1982, which is the official NFL record for Bengals sacks in a season, which is 13.5 by Carlos Dunlap, he's going to surpass that. He's had a, and it's not just he's put five in one game and zero in four games and one in another. Game. It's he's been, been seven, seven straight games with a sack, back to back games with a strip sack. Um, so um, that guy to me is, listen, people question that offseason signing. I didn't. And listen, I'm not always right, as you well know. I like to be right. But it was one where Carl Lawson gets a hold of these pressures, and boy, that equates to sack. No, it doesn't. It equates to some pressures, and it could be a very subjective stat. I know this guy gets home and affects plays. And suddenly Sam Hubbard's affecting plays. Sam Hubbard's now up to seven sacks. I don't even think Sam Hubbard is a – I don't consider Sam Hubbard a playmaker. But he's got seven sacks in the last two games, two fumble recoveries. Right. And so now both of your ends are starting to eat a little bit, especially with – guess what you've had the last two games – You've had the lead, and you can get downhill a little bit more, and you can affect the passer a little bit more. And so I think I think you've got a lot of positives on that side of the football, too. You know what was so weird about the Trey Hendrickson offseason, like naysayers? It was the first time that fans and so many media members were cognizant of a guy being in a contract year and chalking up his success last year to that and only that. It was like so many people were just convinced. It was like, oh, he's just in a contract year. Yeah, it's 13 sacks, but he's not going to replicate it. It, it was just a one-off type deal. And it's like, why was everyone so convinced of that? That made no sense for, for people to be so yeah, down no, on that signing. No, it's like, it, this no, is a guy that was highly, highly productive. And it was fair to question that part of it, right? Of, sure, oh, you could bring uh, it up, but everyone sure. was just like convinced that he wasn't going to be anything for the Bengals. It was like, no. How the first the Bengals brought in a free agent with 13 sacks? Right. And, and, and you know, the first few times we talked to him and the coaches about it, it was mostly about, and if you look back and you look at, you know, snaps and games played and all those things, it was really the first time he had a chance to play, you know, significant time. He was on a good football team yep. and didn't get a ton of opportunities. He got some. Finally, last year, got a ton of opportunity and made the most of it. So at that point, you go, all right, it's one of two things. Either it is. And, and listen, you do roll the dice when you're doing these signings of, oh, it is contract year, or it's, no, he took advantage of opportunity to get paid, and he's going to get paid because of that. And listen, he's a cliche monster, and he's football lunkhead guy, all those things. He seems like a nice enough guy, doesn't really give you much from a quote perspective, but I think if you're a coach and you talk to that kid, I think you can get a real good feel of, was that a contract year guy or is that a guy emerging? And I think they got a feel for guy emerging. And I think it was true. It's been true. The stats prove it's true. Well, it's also like Carl Lawson was in a contract year last year and had five and a half sack. That's a good point. You know, it's like every free agent that was available last year was in a contract year. It wasn't just him. So it's like the the it was weird for everyone to hype up all these other free agent signings and then be concerned about the Bengals getting Trey Henderson. It's like, of course, there's a chance it might not work out and that it was just a, a one off and a flash in the pan and he was motivated by the money. But there's also a probably a better than not chance that this guy is starting to come into his own. And it seems like that's the case. He he has been a Terrific signing. And, and Rick, and, the, and I go back to the consistency part. Listen, yep. I, I, 
you can look at end of season whatever totals for yardage and 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 receiving yards and rushing yards and um, interceptions. Guy has seven picks, but he had three in one game, two in another. What did he do the rest of the time? I mean, maybe he covered great, but I lo- I love the consistency of sack, 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 sack. I mean, it's you give me one a game from a guy, I'm good with that. If he's affecting two or three other plays, I'm great with that. And the next gen stat thing for me was just off the charts because I was about to make. Um, Mike Hilton to give again. This is my game balls. This is nobody else's game balls. I was about ready to give it to Mike Hilton just because it fit my narrative. I made Mike Hilton a separate category about his interception and what it meant uh, in my three takeaways. But I about made Mike Hilton the guy. That I went, as soon as I saw the, the 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 tweet that Next Gen sent, I went, "Well, daggone, that's you affected three plays with turnovers. That's pretty good." And you look up, he only had in real stats two sacks, one forced fumble. Oh, I'm sorry, two tackles, one sack. And the sack caused a forced fumble. So in theory, not a lot on the stat line, right? Yeah. But you affected three plays for turnovers. Yeah. Holy two, cow! Two quarterback hits, and in addition to that, and it's the thing about him is even when he's not quite getting there, it seems like he's always around it. He's yep. always in the mix and putting some pressure on both that that tackle that's trying to stop him and the quarterback in some way, even if he's not quite getting home, the quarterback feels his presence and he plays with the high motor. It's, you know, in terms of Bengals free agent signings, I can't remember too many that have been better in my lifetime. Yeah. I mean, and and I go back to Sam Hubbard starting to do that on the other end. And so now you got bookends coming downhill at the end of games, oh, man, you can affect a lot of people like that. And they're getting some pressure up the middle at times, too, yep, from some yep, of these guys. Ogan yep. Joby, uh, B.J. And BJ, Hill. B.J. Hill. Yeah, B.J. Hill, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. So, no, a, a lot to like about the way the defense is playing. I want to circle back to Zach Taylor because you know, I've been critical of him. Almost anybody that's watched this team has been critical of him over the past few years, and rightfully so at times. But if you're a Bengals fan... And you look up and you see where this team is at now, hammering the Steelers twice in the same season, going into Baltimore and beating up on the Ravens, playing well within the division, not being punked or seeming almost scared of these traditional powers within the AFC North. This is the reason you moved on from Marvin. I mean, credit, we're only in one year of this and there's still a lot of football left to play, but when you were envisioning why you move on from a guy who had got you out of the depths of the NFL and and upgraded you from being the laughing stock of the league to at least you're respectable and you've had a couple of years where you've been competitive and, and challenging at the top of the AFC. This is what you were hoping to get is, is the chance to actually be a team that can go in and bully the Steelers and bully the Ravens even on their turf and and potentially be the best team in the AFC North. Zach Taylor has a team with that kind of swagger, that kind of edge, whatever cliche you want to use. He's got this team in position to be that type of team. And you got to give him a a lot of credit for getting them into this position, especially after last year looked so bad. Dude, I was the first one to probably question the hire. In fact, I did it the very first day he was hired and had some people in the press conference that looked at me sideways and some Bengals employees that actually called my boss and weren't happy with what I wrote. And it's okay. I wrote that I thought he skipped a pay grade, and I think he did. Uh, um, you know, he went from a from a quarterback's coach to a head coach. That that doesn't happen in this league. It just doesn't, nor should it. And then when you look at the proof in the pudding the first couple of years, you're like, what is this? This is silly. The thing that always has stuck with me, though, is 
how the players had his back, even through that stupid Sports Illustrated article, and it was stupid because it was one guy, Carlos Dunlap, who was pissed, and they used him as a source, an unnamed source, and he ripped him and all the, okay, you know what? I think I told you this last year when we went through this whole process. Back in the open locker room days, if things were going sideways, I could go to five players who were disgruntled and put together a piece of why this guy sucks. And so that was one to scoff. It was it was laughable how bad that piece was. I won't name the author. You know the author. Um, but it was it was a joke. And so I, I the, the thing that, that's always stuck with me is I kept thinking at some point, who is this guy? What's his cachet? You're a player. He looks like, you know, he looks like Howdy Doody. He's a good little guy. But, I mean, honestly, scrub his head, give him a fresca, and send him on his way. And they kept buying in. And they kept talking about buying in. And, listen, it's easy when you're losing to go, screw this. This guy's a clown. And 99% of the guys, and especially those guys who were on the record with their name, didn't do, didn't do, they, they were behind this cat. And so I'm thinking, okay, you got that. I think that, that was the part for me of, from a head coach perspective, they believe in him. And now I need to see more as a play caller. And now you're starting to see the evolution of that. And again, good for him. I, I, I want to be wrong. I don't think I was. Cause I still think he skipped a pay grade that you don't skip in this league. And I think it proved out the first couple of years. He probably was in over his head um, as a play caller, maybe not as a head coach, but they have identified what type of player they want. And listen, Hey, um, I can't give him a complete pass on this because the front office has decided the last two off seasons to do something they don't normally do, Rick, which is what? Spend money Spend on free money agents. Spend money on free agents. That's correct. They've been a big build through the draft group, and I'm okay with that when you're drafting well. Well, guess what? They had not drafted well for a chunk of years, for three or four or five years. The the four, you know, 14 through 18 draft had not drafted well. And so you had holes. That should be the nucleus of your team when he got hired. And the nucleus was terrible, and it was aging, and the guys you had drafted were awful. And so you had to make some, not quick, quick fixes, but quick enough fixes, still through some draft picks, and they've done that. They went and spent money. Most of these guys they brought in in free agency have been good to great. They've had some quality drafts the last couple of years to fill in those other holes, and voila, you've got a good roster. And you've got, listen, I don't care if you're Vince Lombardi or you're Don Shula or you're Fred Podunk. You know, if you don't got dudes, you ain't winning games. And if you get, and if you've got dudes, I don't care if you're Rick Boring, who doesn't know an NFL set from anything else, and you just look at a place, you're going, yeah, 35 left wide toss. That looks pretty good to me on first set. You're going to probably win some games with some dudes. So you got to have yep. those guys. But I think that's the thing that he has done. He established a locker room culture. He established the culture in the building. To his credit, he gritted his teeth probably through every level of criticism that everybody threw at him and went. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I know what I'm doing. And look up, man, maybe he does know what he's doing. And um, again, he's gotten some help from the front office of if they had just said, we're going to do this through the draft and not through free agency, Rick, they wouldn't be even close. They'd still be a two-win team at this point. No question. Um, but they brought in dudes who can help and and help immediately, and they had to do that. And voila, here we are. The Bengals deserve credit for two things because you're not wrong. He skipped a pay grade. He was not a guy that had the resume of an NFL head coach. They deserve credit for identifying him and yep. thinking this guy can be our guy. And we don't, maybe he's not quite ready if you look at his resume yet. Maybe he'll need a little bit of time, but we also need a little bit of time to put this roster together around him. So he has that time. And we realize that we're going to give it to him. 
and they were patient through the process. They backed him after last year was still a disaster, and it didn't look like, you know, at least you had your quarterback, which made it easier. You, you could say, look, it, his court, he, he has his quarterback now. The guy got injured. You, you got to give him more time than right, this. Right, right. And, and that was absolutely that, right and fair. Yeah, right, correct, agreed. But you can't deny that Zach Taylor – He's developed. I mean, we're seeing an evolution of Zach Taylor, especially as a play caller, because, again, I've liked a lot of the other things he's done. I do think he he says a lot of the right things. I do like his persona to a certain extent. I don't think he's a rah-rah guy, but I don't think you necessarily need to be. I think he's got buy-in without being a goofball like a Sean McVay. And all of a sudden, you look up now, and you see the Bengals have a young head coach who looks like he's starting to figure it out. They have one of the youngest teams in the NFL with the quarterback on his rookie yeah, deal. Yeah, that, that's the other thing. That's a great point. Yes. They have a ton of weapons on the offensive side. They have a defense that's playing a lot better that you probably still need to add some pieces to. I mean, that's not at all a finished product in terms no. of trying to upgrade that side and, of the ball. And, and, it never and, and, is really and neither, finished. And, but. and neither is the offensive line, right? Right, exactly. So, I mean, you think about that. If you have another draft and offseason to try to just add talent and playmakers to the defense – and upgrade the offensive line with another piece. There's there's a, nothing but upside for this team. I mean, they should be competing at the top of the AFC for at least the next few years. And, and I will say they're usually really good with contracts. They've they've. I mean, we've got we've we've got structured Tyler Boyd for a long time. You've got T. Higgins going into year three of a rookie contract. You got Jamar Chase going to year two of a rookie contract. You got Joe Mixon going to year three of his extension. You've got C.J. Uzama, I believe, going into maybe his final year of his extension. But you're close, and it, no offense, at some stage you're going to draft over top of him too. Um, you know, you've got you got Jonah Williams going into the fourth year of his rookie contract. You've got a lot of guys still on good deals you can do some things this off season and then decide who do you want to extend. So you're in a good window. Now go take advantage of it. There's no, let's go back to this. Let's maybe finish with this. Now there's no excuse. Now right. you're, you're healthy. You got parts. You're playing well. You're playing with confidence. People are evolving. You're evolving your offense. Now there's literally no excuse to not go make a playoff run. None whatsoever. Not next year or the year after this year, right now, and then moving forward. Yeah, that's that's the other side of this, right? Like they've told on themselves now, too. So they can't all of a sudden slide backwards and and start struggling and and then blame it on. Well, we weren't quite ready or we didn't have to get. No, this team has shown what they're capable of and the talent level they have. So Zach also needs to keep it here. You know, they they need to continue to improve and evolve and get better because it's not going to be okay to slide back next year or fizzle out this year. They need to keep this thing rolling. I, I think they will. I mean, they're in a great spot. This is as fun of a football season as I can remember. It's going back to the, uh, the hate to bring it up, the chemo Von Allhoffen year. Was that 2005 or 2006? 2005. Yeah, 2005. So, I mean, it, this is about the most fun it's been to be a Bengals fan since 2005, I'd say. Yeah, I thought the 14 team was a lot of fun, actually. Or the 14 team, whatever that was. Yeah, it, that was fun. It's just hard to harken back to that because of the way it ended. Similar to the chemo Von Allhoffen team, obviously. Right. But that's right. That's right. Uh, that one at least got to the playoffs while it was still fun. Good point. All right, any final thoughts? Well, I think that was it. The Zach Taylor thing was as good of, as I can give you. All right, good stuff. I appreciate it as always. All right, we thank you guys for listening. We will be back uh, midweek with our weekly uh, Potpourri podcast. We'll be back again next Sunday with another Bengals postgame podcast. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals postgame edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lenders.